0: Today on the Learn It, Use It podcast.
1: The candidate is asked behavioral-based interview questions on those leadership principles that has zero to do with functional skills. That's great. Yeah, and I'll just give you a couple examples up. but there are some leadership principles that they look for, which is, you know, one might be frugality. One might be hire, hire and develop the best talent. One might be going, moving quick. And so those are the types of leadership principles and, and interpersonal skills that they're looking for to really assess someone's cultural fit, not necessarily the functional skills, because we they already checked the box on the functional skills. This is really to assess their cultural integration with, with the team.
0: This podcast is by the Operations Management and Engineering Management Programs in the College of Engineering at the University of Arkansas. In our programs, we stand by, learn it today, use it tomorrow. The instructors for our courses are professionals with real-world experience where you will be able to immediately apply what you have learned. Today's workforce is changing rapidly and all fields require adapting to new environments, which means you need new credentials quickly to improve your current performance. Our graduate programs and certificates apply to all industries so you can be competitive in today's workforce. Travis currently works for Amazon Web Services, helping Amazon's customers with their digital transformation to cloud computing. Prior to joining AWS, Travis was a manager at Deloitte Consulting in their organizational transformation practice. Travis also spent 10 years internally with Walmart in their change management practice, organizational design, team effectiveness, training and communications. Prior to joining Walmart in 2011, Travis spent eight years with the continuous learning group as a senior consultant. Clients Travis has consulted with include ExxonMobil, Johnson & Johnson, Kroger, Eli Lilly, J.B. Hunt, PPG, CN Rail, Honda, Chevron, and Cigna, just to name a few. Travis earned his bachelor's in psychology at Utah State University, where he also earned a minor in human resources management. Travis then earned a master's degree in psychology from the University of Nevada, Reno. At that time, he also worked as a human resources generalist with the Tahoe Pacific Hospital and Health South Rehabilitation Hospital. Travis lives in Bentonville, Arkansas and has come to take advantage of all the outdoor activities Northwest Arkansas has to offer. Mountain biking, hiking, and boating, just to name a few. He and his wife have been married over 25 years and have four daughters ages 20, 17, 15, and 13. Jim Bergen has taught with MSOM since 2010 and currently teaches quality management, organizing for change, and maintenance management. Jim is a retired United States Air Force Lieutenant Colonel with the University of Arkansas Bachelor's of Science in Industrial Engineering and an MBA. Jim honed his leadership and teaching during his 22-year Air Force career through diverse assignments from flying fighter jets in Europe to commanding the Arctic Survivor School in Fairbanks, Alaska. Since completing his military career, he has worked as a quality manager in manufacturing and as the Director of Maintenance Management for Tyson Foods. Jim has certifications in Lean Manufacturing, Six Sigma, and Leadership. Since retirement, Jim has volunteered as a board member of Arkansas Academy of Industrial Engineers, a service organization that provides over $125,000 in scholarships annually to industrial engineering students. Welcome gentlemen.
1: Fantastic. And we'll monitor the questions throughout uh, the podcast if there are questions that come up. You know, feel free to put them in the chat and Jim and I will take them as they come. So before we get started, let me just set some context here. So both Jim and I have taught um, what's called the Organizing for Change course at the University of Arkansas in the MSOM program for uh, close to seven years now is how long that I think that, believe that course has been in play. Um, and it turned out to be one of the more popular elective courses um, at the university or in the MSOM program. And I would say regularly our our courses have between, you know, 20, 25. I think the most that I've had is around 33 at one point. Wow. So it's a pretty, and oftentimes we'll run multiple tracks at the same time, multiple sections in the same term. And part of the reasons that we, um, the students, we figured out of the students choose this class is just because of the practical nature of it. You know, students bring a project from their work or a volunteer organization, a church, a sports team, or military is what we find quite a, quite often. And and it's something that they can then take with them. And so each week and how, how it's structured is each week, um, each of these, each of the students is given a, a topic that adds to their overall plan. And they can be things like articulating change impacts, um, identifying who their stakeholders are, uh, developing a communication plan, sometimes a training plan or a sustainment plan. And then it culminates with a final project where the each of the students will develop a robust change management plan that sits that runs alongside their project management plan. But instead of looking at the technology or the processes that are part of a typical project management plan, um, these this is really addressing the people side of it, mm-hmm. which sometimes a lot of people forget. And one of the things that Jim and I have, as we've taught this course that we've just by nature of us teaching the course, we hear. Some of the challenges that the students face every single every single week, and that gives Jim and I the chance to give them advice on what they're hearing, what they're seeing, and give them some thoughts on what we would we might do in their situation based on Jim's and ours experiences and how they can overcome those challenges. So Jim and I, you know, over the summer we thought, you know, what wouldn't it be great if we could take some of what these students have, you know, ch- shared with us, and talk about some of these issues that we hear from their own experiences and even some from our own. So, and a couple of things that Jim and I talked about earlier in the summer were, you know, the importance of managers in the middle when it comes to leading change. We thought, you know what, there's a, there's a segment there in organization that is sometimes overlooked. And by extension of that, so, you know, when it comes to those managers in the middles, what's more important, interpersonal skills or functional skills, because managers do have to have a degree of functional skills, but... You can't underestimate the importance of the interpersonal skills either. And so there's that debate. And so, Jim, I'm just going to ask you a question. Let me get you started here just talking about the interpersonal and functional skills. So let me just play the devil's advocate. All right. So, you know, when it comes, you know, are functional skills really less important than interpersonal skills? Because I'll tell you what, Jim, I don't know that I want a doctor who doesn't have the same kind of training. You know, they can have great interpersonal skills, but if they don't know what they're talking about or know how to work on me... I'm a little concerned. So, tell me a little bit more about, you know, the the importance of interpersonal skills versus functional skills. Boy, I first off, it's just
2: great to be here with uh, with Travis and uh, given the opportunity to talk to some people. I actually had some uh, students that uh, threatened me at coming to uh, this, so we'll uh, we'll get started. But I couldn't agree more. If I'm going for heart surgery, I the bedside manner is. I mean, that's secondary. If, yep. if if he doesn't know what he's doing, I'm looking for expertise and I'm looking for experience in that area. However, there I've seen it over the years. The number of people that will have a bad hire because they started off with somebody with great functional skills mm-hmm. and they end up with, a bad hire because the person's not friendly. Mm. They don't get along with the team. They mm-hmm. don't have integrity. So those are some of the things I'm kind of looking about, looking for when I talk about higher traits. Look for people, honest, integrity, work ethic. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're trustworthy, professional, if you're setting up, and we'll, we may get a chance to talk about this a little bit later on, but when you start setting up a team that's going to do change, professionalism better be one of the, the top jobs. So I also look for a self starter. I look for high standards because, and then I look for an active learner because Mm. if you're going to hire traits, you know, all those traits that you like and the people that you like being around and you uh, end up not doing that and get great functional skills, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. a bad hire is a bad hire regardless of uh, and you know people can uh can fool you a little bit but i think you're going to talk in a little bit about how we uh how you make those decisions or what you've seen in some of your interviewing and then i'm going to talk the more funny stories we we come from a book <laughs> called uh or we started the the course with a book called uh made to stick yep and one of the chapters says stories yeah so i have no great knowledge of anything but i can tell some great (laughs) stories that uh that kind of
1: capture that yeah so uh uh so before we get too far jim if i can just ask you one question or maybe get you to elaborate a little bit more you know earlier when we had talked You had mentioned you'd said this phrase. It came from Jim Collins' book, *The Good to Great*. And he, the phrase that you mentioned, which really kind of resonated with me because I'd heard it before, was that you got to get the right people on the bus. So, how did when you think about those skills that you mentioned earlier? You know, when it comes to putting the right people on the bus, what are some of those you know traps that you might say when you don't get the right people on the bus? Well, and you gain this
2: over years of doing interviewing, mm-hmm. both being interviewed and when you're interviewing somebody else. And I, I kind of use the, the example, uh, I'm, I'm reading Dr. John White, mm-hmm. the the ex chancellor, the chancellor emeritus, I'll get in bad shape for not using him, using his name, right. But I'm reading his book on leadership and, I'm just finding all kinds of stuff in there. Now, now you tell me if I'm answering your question, but there was an example of somebody I actually work with in the Arkansas Academy of Industrial Engineers, a lady named uh, Melinda Fobble. And she is interviewing somebody that's made it through the the system, through, through all of the traps to get to kind of that final yeah. interview. Mm-hmm. And that person picks up, asks to borrow the phone, picks up the phone, calls her boss in front of everybody and says, Hey, I won't be in this afternoon because I'm sick. Well, I don't know that that's the trait I would be looking for. And in the end, she didn't get or The person he or she, I don't know, yeah. did not get the job, but you got to look for those. Uh, oftentimes there, there are a lot harder clues to yeah. pick up on, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's another one where, uh, I was looking for professionalism mm-hmm. because these were people that were going to go into Tyson plants and represent corporate headquarters. And this guy comes in young guy. Yeah. Probably learned something from it. Mm-hmm. Takes his sunglasses, puts them up on top of his head and kind of looks a little bit slovenly. <laughs> You're not representing me, bud. Yeah. And that's just kind of, there are ways to tell, but, uh, you know, and and we're going to talk about this yeah. a little bit, but you've got to get your HR people to help you um, have those skills and and get the younger people because bad hires are
1: are tough on you. You know, you're absolutely right, Jim. And the one one other thing that you had talked about when you and I had met earlier was that that I wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit more because um, when I think of there's sometimes there are certain jobs which you really, interpersonal skills matter. And there are, might be other jobs where maybe there might be less important. And one of the examples that you shared with me that really caught me like, hmm, I want to hear a little bit more about that was when you said maintenance mechanics or I can't remember the role, but it was some some role in the maintenance department. And I thought, you know, that's a role that to me would be well-suited for functional skills. But then you had highlighted there can be some traps if you don't pay attention to the interpersonal skills of maintenance work. So, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Oh boy. All right, you shouldn't get me started on this. <laughs> but uh and this is the
2: old uh, your tech your best technician yeah. is your next leader, your next supervisor. And it just doesn't work like that. And I once again I'll tell you a story. i mm-hmm. I'm uh the the new supervisor. Is probably very skilled, tremendously skilled at his old job. Mm -hmm. And when, uh, you know, things hit the fan, he is going to revert back to his old job. And you're sitting there watching this guy work on this piece of machinery. And then I'm watching some people up above him working on another, Mm -hmm. another part of it. And uh, so I, I tell the story and then he's got all his other technicians standing yeah. around watching him. Yep. And now you're not getting anything done. So the, I talked to the the plant manager about it and I said, listen, I watched these guys ruin three belts because they were trying to get them onto the machine. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to do it. And the, he perfect question. He goes, well, where was the supervisor? Mm-hmm. And I said, he was, Shoulder deep in that same (laughs) machine, four feet below, and so you're, you got to remember that your best technician and that it's everybody does it everywhere, is not necessarily your next supervisor, and and it goes from your next supervisor or your best supervisor is not necessarily Mm -hmm. your next maintenance manager. Yeah. So, and that can play
1: across the board. Yeah. So that's interesting. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, it's. You know, when you're looking for those maintenance uh, technicians, when you select your next leaders, it's nine times out of 10 going to come from that pool that you have hired into to be those maintenance technicians. Yes, but it may not be your best.
2: Sure. One, and that is, that's that's where things go. Now, you keep asking me questions, so <laughs> I'm... Gonna, this, this, this is unfair. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to kick it back yeah, to you. Yeah, please do. Because you kind of led me into this thing where uh how do you tell you've you both interviewed you build a team yeah. and you have also uh been on some interviews mm-hmm. so how do people find out that uh, i like you yeah. and good people you know we we kind of yeah. naturally gra- gravitate toward one another but how do people tease out that part where you are they know that you're the guy that has both the the functional skills and the uh yeah the traits that they're looking
1: for so you know real quick i'll do a quick you know plug for some of our hr courses that we teach here um we do go into a little bit greater detail of what that looks like there but i would say the first thing that, that people need to do as they're looking to evaluate the talent pool that they're selecting people from you know Does your HR team have a process with which that can help you? Because oftentimes you, the functional leaders, are the ones who are selecting the talent for the team, not HR. And so HR might do some pre-screening or your recruiting team might do some pre-screening, which to me checks the box of getting those functional skills done. And I, you know, as you mentioned, I've participated in interviews and I've been on the, been the one being interviewed um, a handful of times. And typically one of the first two or three interviews that you re, that you engage in when you're exploring a company and a company is exploring you is to basically check the functional skills box. That's not the bulk of the interview process in most mature organizations. If you have a an organization where maybe your recruiting processes aren't as mature, that might be a good thing to raise the flag to your leadership team to say, we probably ought to raise our raise the bar when it comes to interviewing. And how do we select our people? And I think one of the more common techniques that is um, being used today is the behavioral interview questions. Now, I'll, I'll preface it with this. You know, there's, you're still getting a thin slice of someone's experience through an interview. It's not perfect. So just take that into consideration. So given that you have a thin slice, what are the right, most impactful questions you can ans- You can ask to be able to assess someone's interpersonal skills? And, you know, right now, my current work, I work at Amazon Web Services, and we have, I'll just use that as the the example. There's plenty more that we've got, but just because that's where I am now, I'll go there. And so there's a set of 16 leadership principles, which are what they called, which is what they're called. And over the course of a day, sometimes two days, the candidate is asked behavioral-based interview questions on those leadership principles that has zero to do with functional skills that's great yeah and i'll just give you a couple examples i won't go through them on their public knowledge it's not i'm not disclosing anything that that's not publicly available to anyone who's curious to go look but there are some leadership principles that they look for which is you know one might be frugality one might be um um hire hire and develop the best talent one might be um going moving quick and so those are the types of leadership principles and and interpersonal skills that they're looking for to really assess someone's cultural fit not necessarily the functional skills because we they already checked the box on the functional skills this is really to assess their cultural integration with with the team jim you're going to say something
2: oh well you you talk about frugality and mm-hmm. it takes me back to uh i i met with the uh, how do we get They've got a lot more. But when I was with Tyson, they had a north of a 100, probably, plants. And I'd get out and meet the uh, the maintenance managers. Mm-hmm. And frugality, if I could find a farmer, somebody that farmed and is doing this, because first, of all, they've been tinkering in there, yeah. and they've been fixing their own equipment. and But if I can find a maintenance manager that's got that kind of knowledge, And also the frugality. I didn't have to worry about him spending too much money. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I spent time trying to get him to spend a little bit more money and buy a better uh, motor or whatever because he was staying within his budget for that week. So, yeah. I I love the frugality side of it. Now I've interrupted you by writing something down on a piece of paper. So that's okay. Continue on. So
1: I'll finish that thought. And basically, you know, where, where it comes down to the, how a behavioral based interview question would look, if you don't know, is tell me of a time when you have had to do, when you've had to do, do more with less, that might be an example of a behavioral based interview question that an interview is looking for with frugality. Um and same thing with the others. It's more of a tell me of the time when. And so the the advice that people are given in and, and when you're go- going through the interview process is come prepared to your interview with examples of where you've demonstrated these specific traits and skills before in previous um in, in, in your experience. So then that way, you know, as the interviewer or as the hiring manager, you can then have a better, not a perfect, but you can have a better picture of the candidate that's in front of you. And I will say this, the year, your example that you shared earlier about the candidate calling their manager saying, Hey, I want to, I need to take the day off. I'm sick. That doesn't cover those sorts of instances. There still needs to be a degree of um, awareness, social awareness of what's happening and paying attention to those little nuances that sometimes can go under the, under the rug
2: well and and that one gets back to judgment you yeah. can just you can just move them right out of the the choice area now ta- and and I'm asking you questions now,, sure. and we'll get back to it here in a yeah, minute, yeah, but you talk about the uh the h r folks mm-hmm. taking care of the functional skills, yeah, and I've got my students coming to me all the time saying, "I don't have this much experience." but I bring other things to the table mm-hmm. and I don't think they're going to find somebody that's got all this experience and all these skills. And I say, go ahead, apply for that job because they will write for, you know, the captain yep. America out there and they'll get to the point where, and, and I give it back to the, and this it is it's a long question. You're with fine. Some, some comments mm-hmm. in the middle, but you, uh, those people in HR, they are used to a system where they have to look, They if they tick off the functional skills, hey, I'm safe here. I get yeah. the things that you put on your job description,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we can talk about that later if you want, but these are the things you put on your job description, and I'm weeding them out for you, Right. so you may be missing out on some of those people,
1: Right. and I'll let you talk for a minute. So um, a couple of, you know, I think we want to address this particularly to students who do find themselves in that, that scenario where they are, they want to apply for a job, they feel like they've got the capabilities to do that job, but yet maybe they're reluctant. And so, Jim, we talked earlier, is this particular question feels like it's one that should be, the audience should be potential students is that right your potential applicants could could be could be
2: people out there in the workforce yeah. saying hey i got to find some good people But a yeah. hey i can't tell whether we are in a drought of people or a tremendous rainfall of people i watch the uh the economic indicators. i have yeah. no idea but go ahead
1: so i think a couple things first those applicant tracking systems, and even times the that first line of defense, which are the recruiters—I hate to call them line of defense—but the first um, filter you might say that applicants fall through is is first one is the applicant tracking system. That's all automated through um, artificial intelligence, and so those applicants are those. ATSs, those applicant tracking systems, their primary function is to filter candidates. So you, in, in many cases, you'll have, you know, a hundred applicants applying for one job. Well, you can't interview all one hundred applicants; it's just not possible. And chances are, all one hundred of those applicants don't have the skills required. Great, and so that's where the applicant tracking system comes into play: is it filters out, provides that first cut, you might say, of those. Those candidates now, for people who are applying for those roles, it does take a little bit of effort on our part that we need to be rather than just using a standard resume that we would submit to all and any job that we've got we've got to put in a little bit of effort and tailor our resumes again, not knowing that if we believe we have the skills, call out those skills that match most closely what the um job posting is and again it's not to be dishonest but it's to simply highlight those areas where you do have those experiences that where those applicant tracking systems will then send your resume in through to the next um, filter which then becomes the recruiting people and the recruiting people will then do another scan and they'll evaluate it and that's when they'll either pass you on to the next one or not and so that's why it's important to not have a generic resume but to really tailor the resume based on the job you're applying for. I find that's where you'll have a greater hit on your resume. And
2: and I'm asking this because I just don't know, mm-hmm. because I spent a lot of time addressing all of the, the job requirements on a cover letter. Yeah. And I did, I did target my resume when I was sending it out. Mm-hmm. But uh, is AI even more sophisticated than the thing that just went through and looked for keywords?
1: Uh it's very they're very similar. They're very similar. So um AI really is more of a learning tool. And so you you the applicant tracking systems, they're automatically going to look for keywords that'll bring it on, bring one candidate from the applicant to the continue on pile. And what AI is doing is now learning, you know, when you have not just um one keyword that matches, but maybe a keyword that's similar to one of the keywords okay. it'll learn okay those these two are related so we should um pass that one through whereas maybe in previously and you know an earlier version it wouldn't have gone through and so that's what they where the AI comes in is it self-learns based on you know the volume of applicants that one receives interesting
2: that's that's really interesting yeah. and they're really just scanning the uh the resume they're not looking at cover letters at all or no their cover letters just out the window now
1: well that's an interesting point um that that is a school of thought that's out there is that our cover letters really as impactful and you see things on linkedin here and there where i think the the growing direction tends to be that cover letters are no longer important you know one data point would be my own data point i don't know the last time i've actually sent out a cover letter how about that yeah all right are our- do you want me
2: to uh, kind of take on, Do you want me to go forward? Sure. Go ahead. All right. Well, we talk about HR. Yeah. And I, a quick story is that I developed, and and I know that there are a lot of other people, uh, the CEO of Best Buy, uh, John Wooden, the basketball coach that believe in this higher trades, trained skills. Yeah. Uh, Jack Welch is uh, one of my favorites. I mean, I just, I wasn't sure. Anyway, I loved his business acumen, the, mm-hmm. uh, the other side of it. uh, you know, but anyway, I retired from the air force and it's in my bio. So I'm not, uh, and I'm not on the witness protection program anywhere, but I came back to an area Fayetteville, Arkansas, that really did not know what to do with a, a reasonably high ranking air force officer. Hmm. And, so I said, I started putting it on my resume, maybe on my cover letter for sure that said, Hey, I want you to hire traits, train the skills.
3: Hmm.
2: Uh, it wasn't perfect. I can assure you, but actually, uh, I, I got it through no somebody else, hmm. but yep. the point is, and, and the reason I tell that story is when I, started working for Tyson and I want you to go back and we can kind of kick this one back and forth, but how you build your team, your change team out there. But when I got to Tyson, I was, I was led in. Unfortunately, my resume, I think went directly to the hiring manager who understood and I got hired. And with that, uh, you know, things went, very well after that because i i continually say if you can lead right well and speak well yeah and and all evidence to the contrary here i reckon but mm-hmm. uh, the point is if you can do those three things you can probably do pretty well i think there's a desire to learn in there anyway yeah. i got to tyson foods and when i was there they were not quite as mature a company as they are right now, and they they kind of questioned whether they this guy was hiring some some kind of military guy and uh but I go back to my uh the the core values of the air force are service for self excellent mm-hmm. in all things, and integrity first, yeah, and with that. That pretty well covers some of the traits that mm-hmm. I'm looking for out there. But anyway, I, got, I was very fortunate because the, and this is where I should have gone in and helped out HR mm-hmm. a little bit. I was a little bit busy, but anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they kept sending me, they didn't know what to do with these military guys. And so they kept sending me all the military resumes. Yeah, And I said, cowabunga,
3: this is great. <laughs>
2: I have I'm I'm getting exactly yeah. what I want. Now I got some very, very talented other people. Mm-hmm. But uh and and when we I'm I'm gonna I'll go to it now and then because sure. we might get a but uh one of the things in the higher traits trained skills and I mentioned it a little bit earlier is good people know good people. Yeah. I had a Bolivian connection that was unbelievable. Mm. I brought in I think I had five Bolivians yeah. that I brought in and then they brought a Colombian with them. Mm-hmm. So I hate to have the Colombian connection because that's probably got a, a bad feeling to it, but those people knew good people and they were proud to bring them in. Yeah. And they didn't put, they didn't put up with those bad traits anywhere. Yeah. And so their friends were going to have very much the same traits that they had. Mm-hmm. So. um
1: uh, that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll even share one, you know, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, when, when I staff a team, you know, and what triggered that thought to me where, you know, my, my expertise is in organizational change management. That's my stock and trade. That's what I do training and communications. Um, when I look to staff a team and when I have staffed a team in the past, very rarely do I ever look for those skills. Um, and the main and the old, Part of the reason why and there's a couple reasons one because I have those I have those skills that's what I've been doing for 15 20 years now and so I don't need someone to be the expert because I can play that role and if I need outside advice I have a pretty solid network of connections that I can have be my advisors to say hey here's what I'm thinking am I complete if am I completely off the rails and that both that's both within companies and outside companies where you know, there's a bunch of us that have been doing this for a while, and so I've got that sounding board. But to your point, Jim, you know, there are some things that are just, I would say, hard to hard to teach. Um, responsiveness being one. You know, when you give someone a task, them not procrastinating it until the next day, but them jumping on it and getting something back to you quickly. Because I think in, in our day and age, speed matters, you know, and perfect, I don't want to say perfection less, but with the you know many organizations migrating towards this agile way of thinking speed matters perfection less because we can iterate and improve as we go along the quicker we can get you know what they call minimum viable products out are, are is important and that's i think why you know one of the things that i look for when staffing a team is more on those traits rather than skills is because those are the things that maybe i'm lacking there there's that responsiveness maybe there's a skill that they possess That is something that I need to be very deliberate about. And whereas they just bring that automatically. And so I'll look to someone to augment where they might be strong and I might be not as strong. And so that's, I think that's, that's why it's important to really look for those traits rather than skills exclusively.
2: That is, uh, you, you, I, the wise boss or the wise supervisor or whatever does not have to be the smartest man in the room or woman in the room. And uh, actually, John White in his book, and I just kind of came up with this, uh, or you, it's not on my piece of paper. Sure, here, sure. But he talked about bosses yeah. and leaders mm. and bosses have to be the smartest ones of everybody. And they are in charge, and by golly, their word goes, mm-hmm. and leaders are just exactly like you. you bring, yeah. hey, I can be the dumbest guy in the room if I've hired the smartest people in the room, yeah, and my students might attest to that being the the possibility, but you and and now I'm going to talk a little bit about the course yeah and 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 the overall m s o m mm- mm-hmm. and karen uh, I don't know if we've had any questions come yeah, in good. or not but we could these are our customers so we could probably uh, talk to them a little bit after i finish my soliloquy on uh, agility the uh, the MSOM program i mean we talk about uh, learn it today use it tomorrow yeah. and i you bring up agility and it is amazing when when covid came yeah. around they said Okay, everybody's got to go online and use Zoom or Teams or something else. Yep. And the uh our instructors and our staff and the whole group mm. of people kind of gave out a a yawn and said, "I got this." <laughs> and and yeah. that's because yeah. we have developed that agility. Um I don't know if people know, but I actually Have taught people in a classroom and on Zoom in uh, Florida, in Memphis, and another guy where I don't even know where he was, but that was the way the course was set up. Interesting. Yeah. And it wasn't, it's not perfect. Sure. And we're working, continuously improving, trying to Mm -hmm. make it better. But, uh, and I can tell you that I did a class purely on Zoom. And I made them keep their cameras on, which mm. was, uh, but the, the agility of it was, Hey, I, I teach by asking a lot of questions. Yeah. And it was, it was 95% to having them live in the room. I will tell you right now. And you might want to talk about cause you're, you're mainly a, uh, an online instructor and kind of talk about some of that too.
1: Yeah. So I'd, back to your point, I think when we, when we originally, you know, when COVID happened, you know, this was, we had been operating this way for, since I can remember, since I joined the program, you know, back in 2015. And so this was nothing new that we needed to reconfigure how we were delivering our courses, at least up for the um, for the asynchronous portion. Um, yeah, I will say this, there's the advice I kept hearing from multiple professors is there's, there's an element about doing a face to not a not a face to faces and physically there but more as a face to faces and let's see who you are and let's let's get together have a structured but unstructured conversation about you know and i i think what i have learned and so i i implemented that practice earlier about a year ago i started doing these weekly sessions with the students that's completely optional there's no requirement to be there but when you have 10 of 20 of the students join Clearly, there's there's a need there and there's some people who want that, you know, interaction with someone else besides just their computer screen and a, a chat room, for example. And so I think that's one of the benefits of the program is that you do have a a, um, a wide range of professors who do those kinds of face to face interactions and um, provide those students those those options. You know, not all not every student will want to do that and that's OK. You know some students are perfectly fine and can main you know do do fine just by themselves in their their material taking their exams um participating on the discussion chats whatever that might be and they do well, but there are a handful of students who who prefer that that interaction and that's what I think that's where where what you'll find at the program is you'll find a lot of professors that do provide that that interaction good karin we have anybody that wants to ask us- a question or are they
2: just so the the angels are weeping and they know we've covered everything they need to know.
0: I, I think Jim, I think you're just so, so interesting that you've just captivated our audience here. But uh, what I do want to point out is that yeah, anybody who is a, a live participant right now, please, um, we welcome any questions, comments um, for Jim or Travis right now, just simply type them in the chat. This is meant to be interactive and so while you kind of formulate those thoughts maybe um Jim or Travis have any questions maybe that you want to ask our audience um that they could answer and and interact that way
1: so yeah i'll i'll pose a question for the group and also to jim um when jim and i were originally putting this this idea together you know we had we 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 had a clear distinction functional skills or interpersonal skills or traits whatever whatever you want to call that And I kept thinking, are there things in the middle that don't fit nicely into either one of those buckets that are important? And I came up with one example. I'd be curious to hear if there are other people who have other examples that might not fit nicely into one of those buckets. And so, this Jim, this goes back to when we were staffing teams. You know, if there's someone who doesn't have that same level of organizational, for me personally, someone that doesn't have that same organizational management pedigree. You might say, and maybe they have a great um, interpersonal skill set, but I've got to choose between someone who's got, you know, that skill or the or that that trait. There's another one that doesn't fall nicely neat, and that's organizational understanding. And so, particularly in the field of organizational change management, one of the things that's important is to have a um, a network and a view of the organization because communicating. And training and building stakeholder engagement is important. And so being able to know the organization, know the function within an organization, and who is who within an organization is important. And so oftentimes that is one of those, I would say, um, traits that is, doesn't fit nicely into either one of those buckets, but is important, something that we need to look at. And so the question is, is are there other things that don't fit nicely into either one of those?
2: Hey, it's a it's a it's a great question. Yeah. And I will just kind of take off on that one. Sure. Because um I had worked for a large organization that uh you know took care of national defense and we kind of thought our our vision was pretty good. Yeah. But when I moved into uh a regular corporate hierarchy, it was uh I had to learn yeah. and I had to have some of those people that were really smart mm-hmm. on my team that could say, Hey, let's look in this direction yeah. or less, but here's mm. the, here's the point. And I like to think that I have some of those traits, yeah. the friendliness and the approachability yep. and all of those things. And as I worked with these other parts of the organization, I developed great contacts that knew they could count on me and i knew they could i could count on them and so yes organizational knowledge or experience or whatever is wonderful yeah but if you get somebody in there that's got that great organizational knowledge and they're a horses (laughs) patoot you're 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 going to put the wrong yeah uh i think Okay, wait a minute. We got we got a question. So Yeah, we've got oh, a couple get, here.
0: Uh the first one here guys is from um our own Rich Ham. Um he's asking if there's cultural consideration when recognizing traits or how to implement change. How about those differences between the generations we've all been talking about recently?
2: Oh, I got that one if you Go want to. Uh, we'll let you take that one. Uh, I I actually teach a course in uh in uh, maintenance management. And one of the things that we talk about in that course is the intergenerational Mm -hmm. things. But I had a, a Walmart guy in my last class. And my last class finished, what, three days ago or something? And he would bring up in class. Now, this is a live class. And he'd bring up his challenge. And one of his big challenges was intergenerational. Yeah. He has baby boomers. He's a Gen X you got Gen Y or Millennials, and now the Gen Zs are coming into the system now. And this this is where you've either got to do a bunch of reading and learning and talking to people, or your HR's got to be able to help you out yeah. in this area too, because that you know they're the training folks, mm-hmm. and what and and Rich Rich and Karin know it. Hey. Time off is, uh, is tremendously important for me, but there are people that, you know, want the pat on the back and that's kind of my generation too, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, money's just enough to to get me by and buy me some new tools.
1: Mm -hmm. So your thoughts? No, I I, I would agree. I think there's one other thing that I have seen and seen in, in the literature, but also seen just through, through my own experience is yes money is important but it's almost table stakes you know t- it's what gets people in the door and keeps them in the door what will really create engagement which is really what we're looking to do how do you create engagement with the employees is, um oftentimes this this um idea of giving them meaningful and challenging assignments you know that is one that i think spans i think multiple generations but i think in particular i think the what i think the research is showing is that The baby boomers are highly engaged by that kind of work. And then also um, the other end. So the Gen Z and Gen Y are, that's a big motivator for them is being engaged in meaningful work. And so not just work that you come to do your eight and hit the gate, but you're engaged in stuff that really challenges you in a way that maybe you hadn't been challenged before. So just to add on to what you've already said.
2: Yeah, if I can, I can take that. uh,
1: Just. I beg your pardon.
2: We'll go back to Rich's question because I lost yeah. my train of thought.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: That that happens with age sometimes.
3: Yeah.
2: Now we've also got the ability to network and build relationships and open doors. Yes, this can be considered interpersonal, but someone. That can work in teams and connect
1: is mission critical absolutely can i can I take that one there i'll start I'll start out one. with that one jim uh Troy, I think it's a great question and i it's one that I wrestled with a little bit before we came in here if I'm honest with you because I, I was thought the same thing that you did it's like is that one that is in the middle or does it fall more in that traits camp and I think you probably could um, make a case for it being there in the middle um because there is a degree of organizational agility that you need to have and I, specifically when it comes to the, in the area of leading change that which is where i'll I'll address <clears> the <throat> two because being able to understand what those political dynamics are can make you extremely effective in being able to know you know when we roll out this program who might react in a way where we need to give them a little extra care and feeding or hold their hand a little bit more and so i, I 100% agree with you that is important to have now, whether we call that a trade or whether we call that in the middle, I don't know. I think we might be getting into sp- splitting hairs, but that's not to say that it's not important. And so having that networking ability, having a broad network and having that political astuteness, you might say, in being able to know who who do we need to worry about? Who do we need to give more attention to? And there are some that you don't need to give as much attention to. They'll just give them what they need to do um, in terms of speaking points or whatever that might be, and they'll be fine. Jim, what do you think?
2: Well, this is this gets back to your black hole. Yeah, because this mm, yeah, was that's the, a good point. This was and and to kind of explain it, you've got the people if you're doing change. Yeah, and now the, these things have kind of morphed together a little bit. They change have. and uh, and we knew they would
3: the we knew higher rates, mm-hmm.
2: but uh, the the people at the top may have been driving this change. And boy, they'd say, okay, and then they say, hey, uh, Travis, Jim, we're gonna we're going to build this team to do these things. Yeah, and they kind of skip over that group in the middle. And those, for me, were the ones that needed the most care and feeding, and they were the most important because they were the ones that were going to push the change. Yeah, and I really we did several things in order to make them more knowledgeable. Yeah, about what uh, there were training programs for those folks, and uh, once they got on board. It was sweet.
1: That's exactly right. Because if, <clears throat> if they are, if those managers in the middle are left out, you know, what, what I think we often take for granted is at some point, the project team is going to pack their bags and leave. And they're going to leave the organization with whatever tool process technology that they brought. And they're going to walk away as they should. The project team is not an infinite or team. And so when that happens, um, who's going to be left to make sure that the processes are followed and that the people are doing what they need to. Well, that's the middle managers. If they hadn't been engaged in the right way before you're at, you roll out or before you go live, it's going to be an uphill battle. Um, in terms of adoption of your program, if they're not engaged in the right way.
2: Well, and you're taking me back. I mean, I just taught the class. So, and you just taught yeah. the class too. You cut it online and I caught, taught it live, but, uh, one of the things that we talk about a lot is sponsorship, yep, and I spend yep. a lot of time talking about how are you going to help that sponsor and and I'm talking about e v p high up in the organization yep. on how first off they're tremendously busy, yep, so they are not going to welcome you into their office to take away you know to make their eight o'clock or yeah. their seven thirty dinner and eight o'clock dinner. So you've got to learn how to communicate with them. But all you really, not all you really want, but one of the things that I have always emphasized is, hey, every time you get a chance, ask these people about this. And I, you know, you load, you you load their guns Mm -hmm. and you say, just ask them. Mm -hmm. And at that point, those people say, oh, this is important to my boss. Yeah, and maybe i to get engaged a little bit, and then maybe I'll get a phone call as the the change leader, mm-hmm. and uh, now I can I I've been welcomed into the the black hole instead of having to knock on the
1: door. But see, Jim, you just perfectly demonstrated what one of those interpersonal skills looks like, where it's important. You know, that's if I'm just going to paraphrase what I think I heard is you jumped in there to help out the leader not to not for your own purposes but to help drive the organization forward by making the leader look good that's that's something that that's tough to teach if you know what i mean
2: and hey they didn't hire me in this 12 years ago they didn't hire me because i had great knowledge like you do and change or whatever i just tell a lot of great stories so (laughs) and they're good well you go back you go back to made the stick in fact i got a Karlyn, keep us under control. Yes. Uh,
0: I. Yeah, you're I doing time. great. I was gonna intervene real quick and just let people know um, that uh, the Master of Science in Operations Management and Master of Science in Engineering Management that Travis and Jim have been kind of referencing throughout this presentation. Uh, we've got two master's degrees, we've got four graduate certificates, and then we've got our newly uh, rolled out micro certificates. If you're interested in any of those or any of our professional programs, we've got a QR code there on the screen. Uh, just simply scan that with your phone, and that'll take you to all of the programs that we offer in the College of Engineering and the Department of Industrial Engineering. And we just want to remind folks that our next podcast is going to be on January 17th. It's episode four, talking about trends in leadership. And as we wrap up, I'm going to keep this screen up, but Jim, Travis, what I want to kind of wrap up for our listeners and those who are going to listen to this later on, uh, what do you think the top maybe two or three takeaways um, of this talk that you guys had that you would like people to know about?
1: I'll I'll start with one. Start and then, on Jim, you all... can go on the other. I'd say the first one is traits are important. You can't neglect the traits. If you are looking to staff a team, look at the traits I don't want to say give them a priority, but in many cases you might have to, if your HR team does not have a process, a hiring process, really do some research on the behavioral interview questions and you need to determine what are those traits that are critical for you that you need your team to be effective and go use the behavioral based interview questions and drill those. That's one takeaway. Jim, what about you?
2: The one that I I emphasize in pretty well all of my classes is you're not, I beg your pardon, your best technician or best supervisor is not generally yep. the one that has got that skill set and that knowledge level, or I beg your pardon, the traits mm-hmm. that will make them successful at the next level. So you're going to end up, and it's going to be a hard decision for, yeah. for that maintenance manager or whatever. Well, why are you picking Joe when I'm the best yeah. at what I do? and they need to have an answer and oftentimes they don't want to have an answer and they just end up getting a person in there that struggles. Yep.
1: And so the last thing I think both Jim and I agree on is when you're interviewing people or when you're staffing people, you know, please look at the interpersonal skills and look at, you know, the kind of people you want on your team. It'll make life a lot easier for you than if you hire someone for their functional skills yet they don't have the interpersonal skills. Oh,
2: my goodness. It's, uh, you know, they're they're just surly mean people out there that nobody wants to work with. And now you, anyway.
1: Do yourself a favor. (laughs) That's for sure. We'll leave those thoughts with you.
0: Um, Latest episodes are going to drop on Thursdays um, after the recording, so you can check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And uh, also our YouTube channel so I want to thank everybody for joining us today thank you Travis thank you Jim take care thanks thank you for listening to today's episode before you go if you enjoyed today's conversation would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening on our goal is education and helping people improve their professional skills and knowledge to advance in their careers and positive reviews help others learn about our programs thanks and we'll catch you on the next episode